Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. As I shared last night at the 4 o'clock service, this is probably one of the strangest messages that I can ever remember experiencing. Just a little backstory, a little background stuff. Let me tell you how I work. Uh, it always starts with a Bible study, and then God gives me the primary ideas of the message, and then I go to work. I go to work applying it. I go to work illustrating it, and I try to build a message so that I can kind of take you on a trip with me. And so when I get ready to speak, I have all that work. But something unusual happened this week. About a week ago, I had a sense of the spine or the skeleton of the message, just some raw points that I believed from the scripture God wanted me to share with you. But every time I tried to go to work, it was as if I was blocked. I mean, I had a strong sense that I had the right message, but it was as if God was saying, I don't want you to apply this. I don't want you to illustrate this. I want you just to lay it out there. And then God, and I'm not trying to tell you that he speaks out loud to me. I don't want to freak anybody out or anything. It was just as if God was saying, leave that to me. Because his message is going to touch people in different places. And God was like, I want my spirit to apply it and illustrate it. So I'm scared to death. Because I don't have about 65% of what I normally have when I step out to talk to you. But I learned a long time ago just to follow the Holy Spirit. And so this may be a 10-minute message. I don't know. Because about 65% of what I normally come out here with, I don't have. Now, he's given me a few things to say at 4 o'clock and this morning at 9.30, but I don't know. It may not happen this time. But I do know this. I know that the points that I have for you from this story are from God. And maybe God wants to do something today, and maybe we don't know what it is yet. So let's just get on our horses and ride. One of the things that I hear sometimes is that all religions are the same. And I guess if you take Jesus out of that equation, that's probably somewhat true. But what makes Jesus different from religion is that he's always doing the unexpected. That's why I picked this title for our series, The Unexpected Jesus. But when I say unexpected, maybe I should point out that I mean unexpected to this world. And that's a lot of the issue. What Jesus does is unexpected to this world because this world is broken. It's backward. The batteries are in backward. He comes from another place. But that's the deal. See, our expectations are based on a flawed, broken system, a sin-cursed world. And even though we are Christ followers, many of us, we still have to factor in death and suffering and hardship and abuse. These were never intended. This was never God's plan. But here's the point. They're the norms See, the norms of a broken world have to be factored in because we live in a broken world, but as followers of Jesus Christ, our citizenship is not in this world. So even though we have to factor in the expectations of this world, Jesus comes along, and as I said a moment ago, he's not from here. He doesn't come from our broken, flawed world. He came to our world 
but he comes from another place. When Jesus was giving his calling card to the world, he said something interesting, and there are really two parts to his sentence. He said, I came down from heaven to do, the, to do what God wants. Now think about that for just a moment. Jesus said, I came from heaven to do what God wants. Both of those things mean that Jesus is always going to be doing the unexpected. Now he is human. He will live among us and experience many of the things that we experience. But if you look at the stories of Jesus, even though he experiences those things, he cannot keep his hometown out of it. I've been in Kansas for 36 years, but I'm not from here. I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. And I think like a Kansan now, but I can't keep my hometown out of it. I can't get rid of the Texas accent. The long A's give me away. I'm from somewhere else. And I'm totally unimportant, not at all like Jesus. Jesus is God, but that's the thing. See, he, he walked among us. He lived among us, but he's not from here. And he cannot keep his hometown out of the stuff that he does. For instance, he'll attend a wedding. That's what we do. But then he'll turn the water into wine. Exhausted, he'll go to sleep in the bottom of a boat like we do. But then he'll get up and calm a storm. He'll get hungry like you and I get hungry. But when a crowd is hungry, he'll take a sack lunch and feed 20,000 people. He'll drink water. And then he'll walk on the stuff. He'll cry at the grave of a friend. And then he'll call him out and this friend will walk out under his own power. And spoiler alert, he'll die like we probably will sometime unless Jesus comes first. But then he can't keep his hometown out of it. Three days later, he's going to push the stone aside and walk out. He is the unexpected Jesus, and he does unexpected things. And you and I should all get our expectations up because he's still doing them. Some of you have the idea that Jesus is a historical figure. And you read about the things that he did, but you think that's a bygone era. But then I go over into the book of Hebrews chapter 13, and I read the 8th verse where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I read Matthew where Jesus said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And by the way, the age is not over yet, so he's still here. The Bible tells us he is here among us at New Spring Church today because where two or more gathered in his name, he is in the middle of us. So get your expectations up. So I'm a practical person. You know, whenever I hear a speaker speak or a minister communicate or a teacher teach, I always want to say, tell me how that works. Don't give it to me in stained glass or pop organ language. Give it to me in gut level practical stuff. So how would this work? Well, let's pull a story. Since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, let's just pull a story and learn some things. And Excuse me, who knows when this service is over, we may be able to start expecting the unexpected. Here's the story in the nutshell. It's been a whole day of Jesus doing the unexpected. I referenced it a moment ago. Jesus had been teaching in a deserted area, a big, big open space. And he taught all day, and the people were getting hungry, and the disciples, they got nervous because you know what happens with a mob when they get hungry, and the disciples were afraid that mob was going to turn on them. And, and they started telling Jesus, maybe you should send these people away. And Jesus said, give them something to eat. <laughs> like, we don't have anything to eat. And then there's this little dialogue between Jesus and Philip. Jesus leans over to Philip and he says, uh, where are we going to buy enough bread for all these people? 
and practical Philip, Philip was saying, Lord, that's not our problem. And it's true, there's no Dylans around here or Quick Trip. But there's like 20,000 people. And our problem is not the stores to buy it. The problem is we don't have the money to buy it. Here's what Philip said. Jesus, I've been thinking this over. And if we had a whole year's salary of a working woman or a working man, if we had a whole year's salary, it, would, it, wouldn't, it still wouldn't be enough for everybody to have one bite. Andrew, I love Andrew. Andrew is always practical. He's always looking for somebody to bring to Jesus. Andrew, I, I, want, I want to be like Andrew. Andrew. Andrew never thought he was hot stuff. He just always figured if he could just get people to Jesus, everything would be okay. So Andrew is out there in the crowd, and he finds a kid that's got a sack lunch with five loaves of, fish, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, when I was a kid hearing this story, I thought five loaves of bread. But that's not the way it was. See, I'm from Texas. He had five tortillas. That is exactly what it was. He had five tortillas. Lord knows I love tortillas, but they don't exactly have the most flavor. That's why we put stuff in tortillas. That's why we make fajitas. Of course, tortillas are not so much. And that's why they had the fish. The fish gave a little spice, a little tiny fish to give a little flavoring to the... So he found a kid with a sack lunch. And... and, And he said, Lord, I've been throughout this crowd and nobody's got any food except this boy here. Now, Jesus must have been an incredible teacher because this kid had been sitting there listening to Jesus all day and he never got into his sack lunch. And you know, he's one of the heroes of the Bible because the kid could have said, I'm not giving my lunch away. These guys, they should have mamas like I have mama that thought about something and their mama didn't think about anything. But he said, if the Lord wants it, he can have it. God help us to be like that. And then Jesus blessed it and he started breaking it. And that's when the miracle, the unexpected happened because as he broke it, there was just more of it. You know, you know here's the thing. Jesus didn't need a sack lunch to feed 20,000 people. could have spoken, but he just chose to use it. Just like, here's the thing. He doesn't have to have us, but he chooses to use us. Hmm. And then the time Jesus got through, all 20,000 people had everything they wanted. There were 12 baskets left over. Why 12? Well, there are 12 disciples that were saying, send them home. I always imagine what happened. Here's the 12 disciples are following this little boy home. And the little boy got to the house and his mom looked at those 12 guys, each carrying a basket and said, what's that? And the boy said, that's leftovers from the breakfast, from the lunch you packed. Hmm. That was unexpected. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. Because it's what happened next. Because what happened next was a different kind of unexpected. It was the end of the day. The disciples and Jesus had gotten over there in the boat. They were, they were around the Sea of Galilee. We call it a sea. It's really just a big lake. I was looking at pictures of Mary Alice and me on the Sea of Galilee in between the services this morning. So, of course, these guys, many of them made their living on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, guys, get in the boat and go to the other side. I want you to go over to Bethsaida. Well, that's not unexpected. Bethsaida was where a lot of them were from. It was a comfortable place for them. Bethsaida, for all of you guys and gals who love to fish, Bethsaida means the fishing place. Jesus said to the disciples, get in the boat and go over to Bethsaida. Except, he said, I'm not going with you. That was very unexpected. I don't know if the disciples asked or not. I can't tell. Did the disciples ask, well, how are you going to get over to where we are? And what are you going to be doing while we're gone? Made no sense. But Jesus said, get in the boat, go across the sea, go across the lake, go over to Bethsaida. The disciples got in the boat, 
And, and, and again, I was just looking at pictures. And, and here's the thing. I, I actually was looking at some pictures that I shot when Mary Alice and I were there. And the water would come right up to the edge. And it was so calm. It was like you were looking into glass. And I guess that's what it was like when the disciples got into it. And they thought it's just going to be an ordinary routine night going across the lake. I should tell you that storms come up on Galilee. It's kind of like a wind tunnel. And sometimes storms come up quickly and they're very violent. And one began to come up. And the further they got out, the worse it got. And when they were about four miles away from the shore, the storm turned potentially fatal. For all of you who are sensing there's metaphors in here for you, let me just throw one at you. This is no ordinary storm. I know because a number of the guys who were going to pieces in this storm made their living fishing on this lake, and they were well aware of what storms were like on Galilee. But this was a different kind of storm, just like some of you are going through a very different kind of storm than you've ever been through before. I wonder if they wondered. (laughs) Shouldn't we have asked Jesus why he's not here? I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing here (laughs) homiletically. That means what preachers should do in a sermon. Uh, For some reason, I I find it interesting to point out that this is in three of the Gospels. Now, there are stories about Jesus that are in three of the Gospels, but ordinarily, they're in what we call the synoptics or the similar Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a very different kind of Gospel. For instance, well over half the book of John is the last week of Jesus' life. So ordinarily, when I would say to you, this story's in three of the Gospels, you're going to almost assume that they would be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's interesting, this is in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John. Now, why do I find that interesting? Well, you should know that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is really Peter's Gospel. So typical of Peter, Peter was like, I'm sure, he was dictating it to Mark and said, hey, don't put my name on this, put your name on this. So when you read Matthew, Mark, and John, you're getting Matthew, Peter, and John's story. What's significant to me is all three of those guys were in the boat. Dr. Luke was not yet a follower of Jesus as far as we know. Luke wasn't in the boat. So you're getting the story of three guys who were there. I just find that interesting for some reason. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, Peter tells us something that I love very much. He said Jesus was praying And then he saw them struggling with the storm. Saw them? He's four miles away. It's a dark, cloud-filled night. It's the middle of a storm. Can you explain to me how somebody can see a boat in a storm four miles away when it's pitch black on a cloud? We're talking about Jesus, aren't we? Hmm. And then the really unexpected happened. Jesus took off to meet them, walking on the water. And, of course, when they saw him, they were freaked out because they thought it was a ghost. In effect, what they're saying is, okay, this is really the big storm. We're all going to die here, and we're already in the land of the dead. We know that because a ghost is coming our way. But they weren't in the land of the dead. They were in the hand of the Son of God. They were in the hand of the unexpected Jesus. And what had to be some of the most beautiful words in the world, in the words that Jesus says to you and me when we're going through these storms, don't be afraid, it's me. Don't be afraid, it's me. It's Jesus. He got into their boat. Everything was fine. They landed at their destination. 
But now I come to the points that God gave me. The points that have no applications. The points that don't have any illustrations. It's just what God said. You see, just put these before the people. And if I tell you to say something, say something. So here we go. Here's point number one. They were coming out of a miracle, but they did not learn what they needed to learn. They just saw Jesus take five tortillas and two fish and feed 20,000 people with 12 baskets of leftovers. Why do I know this is connected to the storm? Why do I know these are not unrelated events? Because, again, Peter tells us this in the Gospel of Mark. This is at the end of the storm. Listen. Then he climbed into the boat. The wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their two hearts were too hard to take it in. So, in other words, the fact that they did not learn the lessons they needed to learn at the feeding of the 5,000 had to do with why they were in the storm. I do not know why this is. I'm just talking about my own personality. I have seen God answer prayer after prayer after prayer for me. I have seen God bring me out of difficult scrapes. I have seen situations where I didn't have what I needed and God miraculously supplied. And for a moment, I was excited about answer prayer, but for some reason, I would get on with my life as though nothing happened. And then when the next impossible situation happened, for some reason, I would forget about what he's done in the past. I have, I have friends who are non-theists. I remember having lunch not too far from here. And one of my non-theist friends, he's a very, very kind guy, and I love him a lot. He said, you know, Mark, if Jesus would do a miracle right in front of me, I'd have to believe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure people believe because God does the extraordinary. Because I've watched how so many times in my own life, God does things that only God can do. And, and I'll say, thank you, God, and then I'll get on with my life. Why, why is it that we don't learn what we need to learn from the miracles? I'm going to say something right now that I need to say, and yet I'm as cautious about it as I can possibly be. And watch me. Watch, watch how I teach this. I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to instantly put a caveat on it. Because I need to. Sometimes, if we don't learn the lessons of God's kindness, he will have to let us go through a storm. Now, instantly, I'm troubled by that comment because not every storm that every child of God goes through is because he or she didn't learn the lessons, and I know that, and, and, and I'm so cautious about saying that, but I really do believe this. I believe when that moment happens, I believe you'll be like Peter. You'll be able to connect the dots. You'll be able to say, I didn't learn what I needed to learn in the season of blessing, and now God's got a whole new set of lessons for me. Here's the second thought that I want to leave you, and it has to do with the word through. Someday I'm going to do a series with just the title, Through. Because, you know, God takes us through things. You know, even Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. One of the things that I say, and a lot of you kind of get after me about saying it in your loving, kind way. I'll say, I wish I knew how to preach, and you guys will write me and say, Mark, you know how to preach. But you know why I say that? Because when God shows me something, sometimes I just feel it so great that it's like the words get in the way. And it's like, I wish I could communicate to you what I feel in my heart. And it's like the words never are adequate for what God puts in my heart. Well, I don't know how to preach this, so I'm just going to give it to you. The storm was not their destination. Jesus didn't say, fellas, I want you to get in the boat and I'm going to send you to a storm that's going to scare the life out of you. 
No, no. He said, get in the boat and go to the other side. But the storm was on the way to their destiny. Now, I want to tell you, Satan will try to make an atheist out of you. And here's how he'll do it. And I've watched this so much through the years. He will try to make you believe that the storm is your destiny. Because if he can ever get you to believe that God wants to send you to the storm, he can cause you to believe that God is not good. He's not a good God. Always remember, the storm you're in right now is not your destiny. Jesus said, go to the other side. But the storm is between where I am and my destiny. Now, I've been a Christ follower since I've been eight years old. I've been a pastor since I was 20. I've been a pastor here for almost 36 years. I want to tell you what I have learned, and I'm not sure. I'm just going to leave this with you and then let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants to do in your life. With every great destination, there's a storm. I have watched, as I've been pastor of this church, how that God has poured out miracles and seasons of extraordinary blessing. But I can tell you, with every one of those, there was always a storm to go through. I I was sharing this with some of our leadership team this week. I said, with every great work of God in our lives, there will be a quit now moment. In other words, the storm will be so vehement that you'll feel like quitting. I mean, this is true. And listen, I'm talking to some of you about your marriage. There's a quit now moment. You're in it right now. You're in the storm. But some of you, you just cannot get through to one of your kids and you love him, but he thinks you, he thinks you hate him. And yet there's just something about you that says, well, maybe I should just give up and not try it anymore. But I have watched in my life over and over again, anytime there's a great destiny, there's a, there's a storm. And the bigger the destiny the bigger the storm. Third point, I'm just going to touch it. There's an unusual verb when Jesus gives instruction to the disciples. It says he made them get into the boat. Now, by the time I get through with some of this message, this, this message I'm, going to, I'm going to be talking about all the great things that God does in the storms. And some of you are going to be saying, Mark's a strange dude. He likes storms. <laughs> no, I don't. Let me, let me, this, is, this is the truth. I've been through storms that if you could come to me with Bill Gates' checkbook and you could say, Mark, I'll write you a check for billions of dollars if you will go through that storm again. I would say, keep your money. I would not go through that storm again for anything. Now, here, now hang on with me for a moment. If you took that same, same checkbook and said, okay, Mark, I will write you a check for any amount. The only thing is you have to give up what God did in your life through that storm. I would tell you, keep your money. Because even though I wouldn't go through that storm for anything in the world, I wouldn't take anything in the world for what God did. See, here's the thing. When you go through a storm and you come out on the other side, the headline of the story will not be, I went through a storm. The headline of your story was Jesus came. See, that's the thing. You you may think that it's been in the seasons of extraordinary blessing that I experienced Jesus the most. No, 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 no. It was in the darkest moment of the storm when I thought I was going under and he came to meet me. That's what I want to tell about. (laughs) 
And sometimes to get to those lessons you wouldn't take anything for, he makes us get into the boat. He makes us get into the boat. And when the storms came, it was bad. And it's just like the storms will come to us. But here's where we're about to get really serious today. When the storm came, Jesus did three things. And he's, remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's still doing these things. Here's the first one. Mark 6, 45. After saying goodbye to them, he went to the mountain to pray. What was he praying for? He was praying for 12 guys who were about to sell into the storm of their lives. For all of you who are going through a storm today, I want you to know that you've got something real special going on because, number one, Jesus is praying for you. Where is Jesus today? I know, the Bible tells me. Romans chapter 8, Christ Jesus who died or rather was raised to life is at the right side of God pleading, look at these two phrases, with him for us. You know, one of the stupidest things I've heard said, and I don't hear it much anymore, but back in the day I used to hear people say, oh, he prays a beautiful prayer. Well, that's got to be one of the silliest things anybody ever said. You know what the word of God says? None of us knows how to pray like we should. But then when we, when, we, when we do our best to get whatever message we want to get to heaven, the Bible tells us something really wonderful goes on because the Holy Spirit, because we don't know how to talk to God, the Holy Spirit comes and listens to what we've got to say, and then he translates it. You know who he translates it to? He translates it to Jesus. And then Jesus is right there beside the Father, and Jesus is like, now, Father, I know Mark is a problem, and I know he just can't seem to get it, but his heart's broken today. There's something he really needs, and I know he doesn't deserve it, but, Father, he's washed in my blood, and he belongs to me, and he belongs to you, and here's what he needs today. We're going to go into overtime. Is it okay? Now look at this. The boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit wants us to know he was four miles away. Because the next three words were, he saw them. He saw them. Straining at the oars because the wind was against. The Greek word there means torturing them. See, here's the thing. Some of you are in a storm right now and the storm is torturing you. You got to go to work tomorrow. And you're going to feel that torturous wind. Some of you are in a marriage right now, and that wind is right in your face. Or you got a kid, or you just have an emotional illness like I I struggle with, and the wind is tormenting you. It doesn't say that the wind stopped blowing. It just said that Jesus saw them, and he sees you, and he sees you, and he sees you in the back row of the balcony today, and he sees where you are, and the rest of us can't see what you're going through, but he does. Because, see, he, he can see through the dark. He can see through the storm. He can see from the shore what's going on in your life. He saw them. And the third thing, there, there, there are two important clauses in this statement that we need to look at. It said, he came to them walking on the water. For 2,000 years, we have focused on the wrong half of that statement because we're so impressed with the cool factor of somebody who can walk on water. That is not what that's about. 
the emphasis is on the first part of that statement. He came to them, walking on the water was just what he needed to do to get to them. This is the fastest way to get there. And he'll do whatever it takes to get to you when you're in your storm. That's his MO. There were three young men who were victims of the cancel culture. They were taken away to Babylon and they were told, if you don't bow down, that's what the, that's what the culture tells us. We all have to bow down. And they said, if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you in a furnace. But they had seen the damage that idolatry does and they stood up. When everybody else bowed down, they must have stood awful tall in the sea of rear ends. And they said, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they did. You remember what I told you a few moments ago, what the headline will be? And the king didn't say, those three guys are surviving the fire. He said, "Uh, we threw three in there and there's four. And then that fourth one is different. He will come to you. Daniel and the lions did. He was told, if you pray, we're going to throw you to lions. What, what did the king ask him? Daniel, is that God whom you serve faithfully able to deliver you? And he said, oh, king, don't worry about this. God came to me. My, my God has sent his messenger, and he shut the mouths of the lions. Paul had to stand trial for preaching the gospel, and all of his associates fled and left him alone. Listen to his words. He said, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. The Lord will do whatever he has to do to get to you. If he needs to fly on the clouds, he'll fly on the clouds. If he needs to walk on water, he will walk on water. But the God who prays for you sees you, and he will do what it takes to get to you. Now, I'm out of time, but I've got two more lessons. Will you stay for just a few more moments? The ones I've preached to you, I've been preaching them since I was 16, but there were two I never saw until I got ready for this message. I want to read this to you. John tells us about this. This is interesting to me. Now, here's the thing. Some of you haven't been through one of these storms yet where Jesus comes, and this will be theory to you, but there's some of you that you've lived this, and you're going to understand. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the lake realized that only one small boat had been there, and Jesus had not boarded that boat. You doing the math? There were people that ran around the lake, ran into where Jesus was, and they looked, and they said, Jesus is here, the boat's here, but he didn't get on that boat. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now listen, guys, I know this to be true. When you go through one of these storms... that threatens everything you're about. And Jesus comes to you and you come out on the other side. People are not gonna look at you and say, what a hero. They're gonna ask, when did Jesus get here? Because see, you're gonna be carrying him with you everywhere you go. And you're gonna be different when you come out of the storm if Jesus has come to meet you because you won't be the same and you won't think the same. I heard this with some of our baptism testimonies. When you come out of the storm, Jesus is gonna be, people are gonna be able to see Jesus in you. You're going to talk differently. You're going to love differently. And that's the thing. See, we we go through these storms not so that we can be heroes and say, look at me, I came through this storm. It's just that Jesus' presence is so real in your life that people are going to say, when did Jesus get here? I got one more lesson. You know, when I read the Bible sometimes, especially when their stories are in the Bible several times, 
There, there are these little pesky details, but sometimes, as I've discovered in this message, the biggest lesson of all is in those strange details. Jesus had said to the disciples, get in the boat, go over to Bethsaida. Hey, that was comfortable for these guys. At least four of them, that was their hometown. That's where they slept at night. That's where their houses were, where their families were. By the way, Bethsaida means fishing place. And a lot of these guys are fishermen. So when Jesus said, get in the boat, go over to, the, go over to Bethsaida, they were like, well, sure, duh. That's where, we, that's where we go. That's where we're comfortable. I never realized this until I was reading, in fact, yesterday morning. You know where they landed? They landed in Gennesaret. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Gennesaret is the exact opposite side of the lake. Jesus said, get in the boat, go to where things are comfortable, but they wound up on the other side of the lake. And this is where it really starts making sense because in Bethsaida, even though it was a comfortable place, a lot of people didn't have a whole lot of respect for Jesus. In fact, here's what Jesus would say. He would say, Bethsaida, if the miracles had been performed in you, if they'd been performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented a long time ago. And Jesus couldn't do many mighty things there because of their unbelief. But they wound up in Gennesaret. You know what happened the next day in Gennesaret? The people were so excited about Jesus coming that they brought their sick friends and they laid them on cots. And there were so many people that needed help that they had to lay them end to end to end on the road. And the Bible said Jesus walked past them. And as he walked past, those people would reach up and touch Jesus' robe, but instantly they would be healed. And people that were paralyzed would suddenly get up and start praising God. And people that had been blind would start seeing. I mean, here's the thing. Do, 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 do you get the point of the message? The storm blew them where they needed to be. They thought their destiny was the comfortable place, but the storm blew them to an uncomfortable place. And that's where they discovered God's calling on their lives. And I told God, told Mary Alice one day in college, I said, I'll go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. <laughs> but the storm blew me here. And here's the thing. Some of you are going through a storm right now and you don't understand the storm is going to put you right where you need to be. Well, thank you for listening today. I can't quit this message, though, without asking if you know Jesus. Do you know the, do you know the calmer of storms? He loves you. He's, he's your God. He wants you and his family. And here's the thing. All you have to do, you know, I talked about those people just touching his robe. All you have to do is touch him by faith. And I don't mean physically. I mean ask him. Ask him to be your Savior and Lord. The Bible says God loves you with an everlasting love. And Jesus died on the cross, and his blood paid for all you've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong. And three days later, he did the unexpected thing. He got up and walked out of his grave. He's God. He's at the right hand of God. He's listening for you. You don't have to talk him into it. He's already got the deal on the table. He's got the offer. He said, come like you are. Declare spiritual bankruptcy and invite Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'll pray it slowly. And if you decide you want to say this to God, then you'll hear your prayer. Dear God, I am a sinner, and I cannot fix myself but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want Jesus as my savior and my king. Oh Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer, dear God, in Jesus' name, amen. Now right before you leave, I know we're late. If you're on campus, All you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000, 
And back at any info center, they'll be ready for you with a gift, gift box. I've got a gift box for you that's got a New Spring Bible, a book I wrote that'll answer a lot of questions, a journal, some other cool stuff. It's free, won't cost you anything. If you don't have your phone, don't worry about it. Just go on back and say, I prayed with Mark, and they will give this to you. If you're watching online or watching on television, all you have to do is text PRAY to 97000, and they'll give you some instructions, and we'll mail this to you anywhere in the United States. Thank you for being here. God bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.